what I've found very simply, um, to just sort of uh, give you a sort of general idea, is that every illness that a person has, every physical illness, every discomfort, even and even things like when they break their leg, which you could say was an accident, um, is not an accident at all. It's it's a message or an attempt of the body to give you some information about yourself that you are not listening to. In other words, it's a really loud knock on your door. If we listen to our feelings, to what we feel, to our bodies, if we listen to our bodies, we would not need anybody, we would not need to be ill. Now, I'm going to make an exception here for children under the age of seven, because there are difficulties there, because their illnesses may be due to karma from past lives, and that's probably quite frequently the case. And therefore, in some way, they're dealing with something else. But talking about the average person who's managed to survive the age of seven, um, reasonably healthy, and then, particularly in later life, when you develop an illness, it's trying to tell you something. Now, this isn't as simple as just people's bodies. To me, the body and the earth are totally connected. I don't believe you can separate the physical body from the earth and the state of the earth. Because it's particularly important for women who are more connected to the earth on the whole than men and more connected to their bodies than men, which is why there are more women generally involved in this kind of thing, because they're listening more. And a lot of it ties up to me with the difference between the male and female energy. And, and I do a lot of healing now. And I'm very aware that you can heal in different ways. You can heal with your masculine energy and with your feminine energy. And when I heal with my feminine energy, I listen to the person's body. And what I do is I move myself really out of my own body and stand on one side. And I allow myself to feel what it is like to be somebody else. I put my hand over the part of the body that has the problem. And I will just let myself gradually experience that person's own feelings. They'll come through to me. They come through to any of you. So you, you're in a room with somebody who's sad. You'll feel sad pretty soon unless you wall yourself off. You're in a room with somebody who's happy. But sometimes if somebody starts laughing, everyone else starts to laugh. They don't even know what they're laughing about. It's just that you're picking up that person's energy. Now, the information about people is recorded in their body, in their auric fields. And everything that ever happens to you is still available. You may not have conscious access to it. The reason for that is that if there's a memory of something that's very painful or difficult to handle, and you keep thinking about it, you just waste your life thinking about it because you can't deal with it. We all know it's unhealthy to brood on difficulties or you know, to let, we need to let go of them. But if the situation has been unresolved, say, for example, um, a very common situation that I come across is child sexual abuse um, to a, a child, which went on over a period of time in their childhood. And, and it, it didn't actually... Usually there's a lot of sort of pressure on that to keep it quiet and so on. So it's sort of suppressed somewhere in the body. Um, these sort of things are sort of sitting there in the body and they, it requires energy to keep them suppressed. So if, if you are, you could look at it like radioactive material. If, if it comes to the surface, it's going to create an emotional outburst. So what people do is they lock it up in a nice little box and keep it nice and safe. It doesn't come to the surface and it doesn't put pressure on their lives. But it takes a lot of energy to do that. You have to constantly put energy in. And how it works is the body, physical tension, like muscle tension in the body, is always due to suppression of feelings. So if anybody has physical tension in the body, probably nearly everybody here has in some area, it means there's some emotional problem there that's suppressed. 
I mean, backache is one of the commonest things that people have, and there's always sort of huge amounts of emotional stuff. And the back is one area of control. That you get muscle tension in the body, which holds it in, and also the the body does a lot of the work for you to hold it in. You know when somebody starts to say something unpleasant, you know, what do you do? You sort of tense up and you you may stand like this, so you're protecting yourself from the information. Or you may sort of, you know, you actually try to protect yourself from that information coming in, something you don't want to hear. Or you may turn your back, or you may sort of sit in your chair with your legs crossed and your arms away from them, just, you know, I don't want to hear this, you see. Or another lot of thing a lot of children do, which is quite interesting, another sort of really obvious example is kids who don't like quarrelling between their parents get fluid in their middle ear. And it's, it's a way of deafening themselves to that. And tinnitus is a very common thing in older people, which has a very similar origin. You very often find that tinnitus occurs in a person who doesn't like what they're hearing. I had a chap who used to repair boilers. And, of course, he had a lot of emergency work. And, it, and telephone used to make him very nervous. And... Uh, Every time the telephone went, he was in an awful state. And, of course, his tinnitus got worse. But then he, co- he couldn't hear the call. And he said as soon as the, he found the call was a friend or somebody, the, the noise would just settle down. And what was interesting, which shows it was due to that, is where do most of you hold the telephone? To your right ear. And he was right-handed, but he had the telephone to his left ear, and the tinnitus was in his left ear. Very interesting. But, I mean, there's lots and lots of cases like that. I'm not going to... I mean, I'm not here to prove anything. I'm here to, <laughs> to tell you what... I've found, and to let you prove it for yourselves, because anybody can prove these things for themselves by simply observing what they see in themselves and other people if they take the trouble, and they're honest and sincere enough. And if they don't want to believe it, well, that's fine. That's the worst problem I deal with, is people who don't want to take any responsibility for what's wrong with them. And there's nothing you can do, absolutely nothing. And these patients, when they come to me, if I find out after two or three times that all they want is to have it done for them, and they won't take responsibility. I just tell them to go and find someone else because I can't work with that. It doesn't work for me. It was great when you're in hospital and you've got all these drugs and you can sort of say, well, I'll take care of that for you, but that's not the way I like to work, which is why I left the health service. So, so you get a situation where somebody is holding this information or these things in their body. Now, there are two kinds of things they hold. Emotions that they don't want to express. For example, anger is a very common one, resentment. Uh, grief, pain, those sort of things. And the other thing they hold is that they suppress things that they don't want to receive. So a lot of people are very defended against, um, for example, humiliation or, um, uh, you know, mockery. That's a, that's a very common one. Or aggression in other people and things like that. So you've got two kinds of blocks. The ones that hold back and the ones that prevent things coming in. And so what happens is if you, if you get a person and you listen to what happens, it's all, or sort of like a video comes up on a screen of their whole life experiences relating to that particular part of the body and illness, and it just comes up in order, starting from the most recent, going backwards. And you can get back to childhood experiences and b- particularly experiences in the womb, which are incredibly important, because whatever your mother feels when she's pregnant with you, you feel, and you're helpless. A lot of helplessness comes from the experiences of helplessness in the womb. There's nothing you can do (coughs) if your mother feels something. So if your mother is feeling miserable or frightened, you may have it. I had three women, one after the other, came to me within a week and had unexplained anxiety. You know, the sort of, they wouldn't want to go to the house and they were scared to be alone and there was nothing wrong. They all had nice husbands, nice houses, no financial problem, nice children. 
and they were just in a panic about this, that, and the other, and they'd hear something on the news, and they'd panic about it, but it was, their anxiety was what the psychiatrists call free-floating. In other words, the anxiety floats about, and it tries to find something to attach itself to. So you see, they'll get information from something that happened to somebody somewhere else, and they'll say, oh, my God, that could happen to my child. And then they're, they're pinning their anxiety onto that because they feel more comfortable to pin it onto something. It's very uncomfortable to have a general anxiety. But they actually had nothing to worry about, and they all recognized that, but they couldn't help it. And when I went back into their... Um, well, this, I got actually a lot of this, um, just from their ordinary history. Um, all three of them had been the first surviving child of a number of children, of a number of the mother, who, whose other children, more than one or one, had died either prior to birth or soon after birth. In other words, the mother was afraid this child was going to die because she'd already had that experience. So the child had been born or, con- or, or was living in the womb in fear, in the mother's fear, and all surrounding the birth process and the afterbirth process, tremendous amount of fear from the mother, constantly surrounding the child. Now, any of us know that if we were to live for a period of a week in a society of people who are terrified and we never contacted anyone else who wasn't the whole week, we'd be a pretty well a nervous wreck by the end of the week. It would be extremely difficult to put up with that energy, even though we're adults and reasonable and everything else, because you can't avoid those feelings diffusing into you, unless you have a very, very strong energy, protective energy field. One of the things I'm going to mention is um, a gem remedy. It's not actually a gem remedy. It's a remedy made from a meteorite, a piece of meteorite that was found in Kenya. So that's why it's called Kenya, which is a very, very good protective remedy. And it's an extremely powerful protector. So it's a re- remedy I recommend for anybody who suffers from the effects of environmental stress, including geopathic stress. Do you all know what that word means? No. Okay, ley lines? No? Yes. The, the, there are negative energy lines on the Earth's surface or energy spots on the Earth that can affect people adversely. They found, for example, in, in Germany, they've done some research and they plotted people with cancer and the places they live, and they found that there's a much higher incidence of cancer along these lines of geopathic stress, okay, and other things, and that they, they recommend that anybody who's had cancer never goes back to sleep in the same place. You know, they, they move their bed to somewhere else in the house, and you can get a dowser. Fountain Group or British Society of Dowsers can douse um, for the exact location of these lines and, and force fields that are negative. Not everybody's sensitive to them to the same degree. Some people are sensitive to power lines. Some people are sensitive to low frequency vibrations, noise. Some people are sensitive to microwave ovens and get colitis from it. Anybody ever got a microwave and got colitis? So um, this remedy is a very good protective remedy. And what it does is enables you to remain aware of what's going on without being affected by it. Now, most of our protection systems tend to cut things off. We can either cut them off by going into our rational mind, which is a very which is using the male side of ourselves. So we have an, a, a difficult experience. So we, we rationalize, and we deal with it rationally, and we totally ignore our feelings. We sort of cut them off and say, oh, yes, but, and, and talk ourselves out of it. Or we ignore them by just cutting off in some other way, some protective way, emotionally, and this is the one that causes the physical tension. So in one case, the information may be going into the person, and they're not accessing it to the conscious. And in the other case, they're simply blocking it off. Now, you've probably all had the experience of being with people you just can't communicate with. You just say you can't get through to them. See, it's a common expression we use. Well, that's because they're actually blocking you because they don't like, they don't want to hear what you're trying to say and they don't want to feel. 
what you're trying to put out. And usually it's because they have had negative experiences with that kind of energy before, or they've been told what to do a lot when they were kids and they can't handle it. So what we're looking at with illness is the body is, has, has a very good system of trying to protect you so that you can survive. Now, why would you want to survive? You know, some people are absolutely amazed at how they would ever want to survive the situations they've been in in childhood. Absolutely dreadful things you hear about what happened to people. And the reason you want to survive is because of your spirit or your essence or your soul or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't mind what you call it. It's something I've come to believe in through observation. Not because I had, as I explained, any religious beliefs, but because I saw what happens to people. And the odd thing to me is, or the interesting thing, or the confirmatory thing is, that having come from a point of view of a pure scientist looking at the facts about people's illnesses, I've come to exactly the same conclusion about the spiritual life and what we need to be doing with our lives as the people who sort of present you with a, a spiritual discipline and say, this is how you should be. It ends up with the same result, which is quite interesting. That if you, if you behave in a certain way and obey certain rules you will be healthy. And if you don't, you won't. But I don't put it forward as, this is what you should do, this is the rules you should follow, although they're good guidelines on the whole. I say you should listen to your body and you will end up doing the right thing at the right time and you will be healthy. Because everyone is different. Now, every set of rules was made by some great teacher. And those rules were right for them. But the fact is that we're all unique and we're all a unique expression of, of creative energy. Just as every one of those flowers is perfect in its own way, and yet they're completely different. I mean, how could you have anything more different than this little thing here? And the snapdragon. Snapdragons, by the way, are good for stammering as a remedy, people who stammer. And um, obviously, they're, they're tremendously different, and yet they're each perfect. Nobody would say one of those flowers is not perfect because it doesn't look like the other one. And yet we try to say to people, you're not perfect because you're not like your sister, or... You're not like Auntie Jane, or you're not the way I want you to be. And so what happens is you get all these absolutely perfect beings, spiritually perfect, like they're created perfect, <coughs> and their body is created in harmony with your inner perfection. So I believe that you, you, you take part in creating your own body. Um, people like Rudolf Steiner, who were able to shift at will into a perception of worlds other than the material, says that you supervise the making of your whole body. And I mean, I can quite accept that. And you make your body to function according to your essence. So your body reflects the essence of what you are in its perfect form. Now, if, due to the environmental pressure, you try to, or you're forced, or in order to survive, you have to change yourself from what you are, your body will show the effects of that. It's like clipping a hedge, you know, into a, a box shape. You know, we have another expression, square pegs and round holes, or whatever it is, that is exactly describes the situation. So the person is not totally expressing what they are, and it will have effects on them, which will manifest eventually as physical illness. So it's important to look at each person's own way, and not say a general rule, because some people's way is peaceful and relaxed. Some people's way is to organize and have everything in harmony. Some people's way is to lead and to initiate projects and leave it for somebody else to finish. So don't blame the person who gets up there and rallies everybody too for they're not finishing the job because it's someone else's part to finish it. And that's why we all need to work together. A garden with just one kind of flower in it all year round looks really boring. There's only flowers at one time of year. And, you know, who would have a garden with just one type of flower? 
equally, why would we want everyone to be the same? Therefore, it's very important that people learn to access what they are. And illness, all physical illness, in my experience, and mental illness, is due to people <coughs> not being true to what their essence is. And I, mean, I, I make that as a 100% statement. I'm not saying in most cases. In my experience, that is the, the case, in 100% of cases. And I'm not going to make the concession so that no, somebody can say, this is proving you to be a liar, <laughs> um, to be safe. Because I'm absolutely sure of it. One of the most, the nicest little books, um, I don't know if any of you read it, is Edward Bach's book, you know, Bach of the Flower Remedies, mm-hmm. Heal Thyself, which says exactly the same thing in his own very delightful way. Um, but it's being said over and over again by many therapists of many kinds, be tr- and, and Shakespeare, unto thine own self be true, and thou wilt not then be false to any man. I mean, it's just been said over and over again. But the problem is, how do we know ourselves? Because we're, most people are terrified of being themselves, because when they were little and they were themselves, mummy or daddy didn't like them. And they had, to be, they had to be a different way in order to get the love and affection they needed. Now, a child cannot survive without love, physically. Love is as necessary to the survival as a child, of a child as food. Uh, so you, you need love. So a baby can cry and get food, you know, or because the mother wants to shut it up, whatever it is, or get his nappy changed, and that's sort of obvious. But how do you persuade your parents to love you? That's a little bit more tricky. And the minute the child finds that it's able to elicit love in some way or other, it will do so. Now, there are many things that are like love. For example, compassion. And what happens to a lot of children is they find that they get a loving, compassionate energy when they are sick, when they hurt themselves. How many of you watched, you know, um, children who are totally ignored by their parents until they happen to be sick, and then they're all over them, and it's all lovey-dovey and cuddles, and, or you hurt yourself, darling, let me kiss it better. Well, it's not actually garan- that is not actually guaranteed to create a healthy, self-respecting person who just gets on with their life. It's going to create a situation where whenever something goes wrong and you need a bit of extra love, you're trying to draw love to you by some problem, by a trauma. And there's a lot of people who've got this idea and that they can attract love by a trauma. And I've got quite a lot of friends who are nurses. And they moan and groan like anything about hospitals because they say some people really need what they're giving. And a lot of people just expect it. And they say, but I'm in hospital. You should take care of me. You should bring me a cup of tea and all the rest of it. And particularly men, because they are taught to do without love more than women are. You know, women are, on the whole, they're allowed to cuddle more and be affectionate, but the boys are taught that, you know, they've got to be a bit tough and they shouldn't need it and, you know, you shouldn't have all this sort of sloppy stuff. And so they have to get it in indirect ways, like somebody does something for them or gets them a cup of tea. You see, how many of you show your love directly to people you love? How many of you just go up to somebody and say, I love you and hug them or something like that. And how many of you do it indirectly by doing something for them, making them a nice cake or um, doing a job for them? And then how, how do you feel fed up when they don't appreciate it? So the, the, all these problems are, are, are being created. Now, this, this talk is about using what we have. Now, what we have is two things. We have our male and our feminine energy. Our masculine energy is love. It's a form of love. It's, and it's giving out. Now, the pure male energy simply gives itself. Now, if you look at the male genitals, okay, or we consider them, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they are designed to give out the essence of that person. They are not designed to do anything else, but give the essence of the individual, the the, the genetic material of the male is given out to the female. And it is just simply what he is. 
There's no, nothing else in it. They, they can't change it. It's what he is. That's it. That's what you get. Okay? So the essence of the male energy is to give out what he is. Now, if you don't like what's there, there's nothing they can do about it. Basically, a, a male needs to, the male part of all of us, we all have a male side, wants to give what it is. It wants to, doesn't want to have to be different or give what somebody else wants. It wants to give what it is, and that's what's satisfying. And it wants to give it 100%. Okay? And if they can't give it 100%, then it causes problems. And then, you know, with that sort of thing, a man who can't give 100%, you get problems like impotence and all those other things that occur sexually, besides not doing their work well or all the other things that go with it. So that's the essence of the male energy, to give itself pure. Now, interestingly enough, if you read the Buddhist um, and, and sort of Eastern texts, the male loses energy um, by an ejaculation. So he actually loses his own energy, quite a lot of energy. So one of the things that they do, you may have read about these things, is that they, they use sexual energy and they transfer it up to the higher centers. And this is a very good healing energy. So the reason for that is that the energy is recirculated and put out somewhere else. And I think, I'm, I'm sure that was what they were doing in the monasteries in England in the old days. They were transferring this energy outwards. And I'm, I'm sure that was why there were all these um, fearful taboos on masturbation, because it's like it's a waste of energy. <laughs> you don't waste things. And um, so that is what's happening. And, and anybody who tries to change their male child into something that it's not and say, you should be this way or that way, is doing a lot of damage. Because it's like taking a flower that's a snapdragon and saying, you should be like a tulip. Because the snapdragons are beautiful. You should always appreciate your child or your man for what he is. Now, I agree that by the time he's grown up, he may not be what he was supposed to be. Now, when I go through somebody's aura, what I find underneath all the garbage, if you like, or sometimes it's very close to the surface, is the essence of the person. And I know when I've got there because I love them. In that moment, I feel a resonance with them, and it's, it's love. I can't quote any other word because it feels the same as any other kind of love I ever feel. If I can get to the essence of a person, love everybody. Just the same as I can love every kind of flower that is. I don't think there's any problem. But the reason I don't love some people and I actively dislike others is because I'm not perceiving their essence. That's the only problem. It's not because there's anything wrong with them. It's because they're not actually being true to themselves. And I believe that if everyone was true to themselves, we would all love each other and we would all work in harmony because we're all contributing different things to the whole. So everything would be done. So that's the male part. Now, the female part is completely different. You look again at the female anatomy. It receives and accepts. The woman does not say to a sperm that comes in, sorry, I don't like the look of you. It's sim- she simply accepts it. And, sh- and women will allow mo- literally physical monsters to grow inside them. And they give them the, their nutrition, everything. It goes from their own body. Um, a woman will get anemic, the baby hemoglobin is normal. It takes all the nutrition and it's given to that child. Okay? So the whole energy of the female is to accept. It's unconditional acceptance, love and acceptance. And it gives the whole of itself. Now that is what the earth is doing for man. It is simply giving the whole of itself unconditionally. Do you ever hear a complaint from the earth when somebody takes a bulldozer and digs a hole in it and then sticks a building? Poor old earth may seem to be thinking, well, this is a funny kind of tree, but I'll do my best to support it just like I support the rest. It doesn't complain. And and whatever people say, I don't think that the earth ever takes any revenge. It's not in its nature. It simply tries to cover up the mess as best it can. And if there's a mess made... You leave it to the earth, and the earth will cover it over and deal with it and heal it, and soon you get a nice green place with flowers and things again. The earth supports life. It supports growth, and it doesn't judge. 
It never says, I will only support this or that. Whatever is there, it nurtures the best it can. It's a completely different feeling. That is the feminine energy, the feminine healing energy. And when I'm working with that energy, when I'm working with a male energy in healing, I simply sit there and I pour out myself and everything that wants to come through me into that person. I don't judge or say whatever. I just go by where I feel it's needed and I just put it in. And that's very effective in some situations. When I'm working with the feminine energy, I listen and I accept. And what I do is I take the stuff off the person. Very often they can't accept it themselves. I listen to it in myself. I accept it and I let it go. I've sat over people and cried for them. It's always men again because they can't do it for themselves. And you just accept the feeling, whatever it is, experience it and then let it go. I, I, I've asked to put this here because I have at home in my office, um, I, have a, I do this, I have a candle for fire, I have the plants which represent the earth to me, the water, I have a metal bowl, a wooden bowl is also nice, or a clay bowl, and then I use crystals around the edge. And what I do is I, all the energy that I take off or that people bring in that we want to release to remove from them all the stuff that doesn't belong to them, all the ways they're trying to be that don't fit, all the things that are not true. It's compost, right? And we put it all into this compost heap. The crystals collect it and hold it, and then we just ask for it to be redistributed by the compost heap distributors who get all organized up there, and really that is their business. Um, and it all gets taken care of. And that way, I don't get affected by the energy. I'm not having my room full of unpleasant emotions, which used to happen when I first started to work. And I used to find my kids would be affected because they're very sensitive. If I had a lot of patience in with a certain kind of energy, you know, that energy would be around the house and the kids would get all hyperactive or aggressive. And I found this was necessary <coughs> to do this. And I recommend any of you who do a lot of healing to have some kind of compost heap that you visualize. I mean, you know, you own one as well. You know, if you've got one in your garden, so much the better. And all the stuff you don't want, you just visualize yourself getting rid of it, dumping it in the compost heap. And it's being useful for something because it's only energy and it's useful. There's nothing wrong with anything on the earth in its right place. That is the Indian, North American Indian philosophy. Everything needs to be where it belongs. And I think that is absolutely right. Everybody has a place. Everything everyone has has a place. Anger has a place, guilt has a place, pain has a place, fear has a place. Obviously, you want to be frightened when you see a tiger running down the street. You want to be angry when somebody is coming and threatening your physical body or your children. It's very important that you have those emotions. You want to feel guilty when you're walking over somebody else's space and when you're trying to do them harm. Otherwise, why would we stop doing these things? We need all those emotions. They're all important. But they have their place. And they're no good in the wrong place. So what we try to do is take everything away. And you cannot take away what you are. It's like taking off everybody's clothes and ending up with a naked person. I don't know if any of you have ever had dreams about nakedness. Very interesting dreams. It's, it's about being yourself. I remember I used to have this dream where I found myself naked at, at the proverbial sherry party. <laughs> and I used to be hugely embarrassed and rush off and hope nobody noticed me. And then after a while, as I began working on myself, I, I mean, I didn't see this till afterwards, but it's quite an interesting story. As I began working on myself, I began to find that when I found myself naked, I would sort of say, well, I meant to come like this. And I'd be very sort of offhand and aggressive about it and sort of defensive. But I didn't run away. I just stayed there. And that was in the phase when I was trying to do my thing, but I expected everyone to disapprove of me. And uh, so, of course, at this dream shape party, they all sort of looked at me and did disapprove. But that's because of what I expected. And then I came to a stage when 
I felt really happy about being naked at this party. And I, I began to think the people who had all these clothes on were a bit ridiculous because it was much more comfortable without. And then I went to the stage where there were all sorts of other people with me who also had all their clothes off. And the odd ones out were the ones who had all the clothes on. And then I stopped having a dream. <laughs> and that was really at the time when I was doing what I wanted to do with my life. And I knew that I was in my place. And I know that I'm doing what I really enjoy and what is right for me. It doesn't matter to me whether somebody says, well, they don't agree with it, because it's not important, because the people who need what I have will be there. And I felt good about what I was doing and where I was. And I don't mind sharing what I feel or what I am or what I think with anybody, if they want to know. I'm not going to go and stand on the street corner and say, come and listen to me, but anybody who comes into my environment who wants to hear it, I'm very willing to share about anything. And so the dream just didn't occur anymore. That was it. It was over. But there was quite a long period of time when I had those sort of dreams and other similar dreams. Dreams are a very useful way of understanding yourself. So with this feminine energy, this earth energy, I think one of the things I think is going to make it very difficult for people is that if you start to listen to your body, you're going to have to listen to the earth as well. And it's interesting that a lot of people who are interested in healing are also interested in ecology and the whales and what they eat and all this sort of stuff. It's very important. It doesn't go, go by accident. It goes because they're connected. I don't believe that we're ever going to have completely well people physically while the earth is sick and while we go on doing the earth what we're doing. And, and I think the sense that people are going to feel it more. And that's one of the reasons why people are trying to do something about it because they have that inner sense that their own physical health depends on what is going on with the earth because your body and the earth are one. I mean, you, you are made from the same things as the earth. You're made from the minerals the earth is made of. Now... Every element has an energy, a resonance. And th those elements in your body will resonate. You all know gold. Gold has an energy of love. I mean, it's standard, isn't it? We all know about gold. Heart of gold, we say. Well, the earth has got gold in it. And if gold is used, given in a loving way, or it, it's going to be good and resonate with that. But if we use it for power, and we store it in banks and it's to do with power and money, it's not going to have the same resonance as it would do if it was used as it should be used as, as gifts or to radiate lo loving situations. See what I mean? It's not being used rightly. And you, you can't help the effects of that because it's still going to radiate its energy just the same. And um, it's the same with all the other metals. And the very interesting thing is I found with the gem remedies is that gem remedies are using spectrum of light. Now, we're made in a way of light, our spiritual essence is made of light. And the, the very precious stones that everyone has valued for centuries and fought over, like ruby, emerald. You see, emerald is the pure spectrum green. Ruby is the pure spectrum red. Sapphire is the pure blue. And diamond is interesting, because I think it's violet, I think. But diamond is interesting because it's associated with Venus, the planet Venus. And, of course, Venus is associated with love. So when you want to attract love to you, you see, you wear your diamonds. So it's not such a dumb idea after all. <laughs> to say that diamonds... What is it? Diamonds are a girl's best friend? Because they may very well have a considerable power to attract the energy of love to you because Venus is, is the attractive... Obviously, you all know about Venus, the attractive energy, the female. So, and, and, and Ruby, there's a lot of stuff in the old literature about what these things were for. And, of course, they're fighting now. They're for the same thing. You know, like, Ruby is good for strength and for will and it's good for anemia and stuff like that. You know, and all these kind of conditions, not enough energy... Oh, pearls. Orange is the colour that comes from pure pearls. By the way, and if you have high blood pressure, that is effective in about 
90% of cases, not 100%, of cases of high blood pressure, the actual orange remedy made from pearls is effective in, in lowering the pressures within quite quick, short periods of time. So that's another interesting thing. Again, I haven't got time to go into any details about that, but these are things that we have, and they are available to everybody because, fortunately, you can make remedies from these things and from flowers. You see, if we were in harmony with ourselves and our bodies, when we needed something, we would simply relax, tune into it, and it wouldn't matter if the flower we needed was in Africa. We would be able to pick up the energy and we would have our healing because everything is there because we're just energy fields. And so we can pick up any energy we need. Because we're not in harmony and we're blocked, we obstruct a lot of the energy flow. So we can't get what we need. So we have to introduce it into our bodies in some other form. We wouldn't need any of these remedies, anything at all, if we were already in harmony. Because everything just comes as an energy. But what happens with the bark remedies, the homeopathic remedies, the gem remedies, and other flower remedies, and things like that, is that they are being made using the energy of substances which are available to us naturally, but because we can't access them through the energy fields around us, because we're blocked, because we don't like what's coming in, or what's in there, and we block it off, they're given to us by mouth, or in some other form, directly through the skin, for example, through massage. But it's not actually necessary, it's only because we've got blocks, that we have to give them in that way, because all each of those remedies gives us is energy, pure energy. We don't get any chemicals from any of them. We get an energy. Or light aromatherapy, um, light therapy. All those things are giving you energy. And the healing force for human beings is another human being's energy because that's the one that could align you perfectly. So if you want a complete healing, what you need is a female energy to totally accept you and love you as you are with all the other stuff, to accept everything about you take it into themselves and let it go. Whatever you have, there's unconditional loving acceptance. That is essential. And that is what all children need to have when they're born, from their mother. That is the natural instinct of the mother of the child. It doesn't happen to everybody. If you haven't had it when you're a child, you need to have it later in your life at some time. I don't believe that anyone can be perfectly healthy if they've never experienced that. And that is what you may need a therapy for, therapist for. To, to, to have that experience. And you also need to be able to fully experience the flow of your own essence outwards from yourself and give it as a giving, as an outflow. So you need to have the experience of totally giving yourself, 100%, into something. So you need those two experiences. Now, if you are living like that all the time, you feel accepted. The universe accepts you, the earth accepts you, it's only Mrs. Jones over the road who doesn't like your style of hat. Um, you don't have to worry about her. You've got acceptance from everything. If Nature will always heal in that way because it accepts. If you allow that energy to flow in, that acceptance, and you put yourself out, your, your true self, nothing else, no enjoyment, so you will be perfectly healthy. And what is more, you'll be the best healer living, <laughs> or among the best healers living, because you will be able to do that for anybody else. And how we can work is that if, if we try to do that ourselves, it enables, just as people in, in a room with frightened people get frightened, people who, who live with people who are like that will become centered themselves. They won't become like you, and you should never try to teach them to do that. But they will become like themselves. If you're in your own center, other people around you will center, and they will be the way they're meant to be. You accept them with all their stuff, whatever it is, but try to perceive their essence at the bottom of it. It's very important. 
You see, you can sit there and say, well, I accept this and I accept that and I accept the other. But underneath it all, to really forgive the things that somebody might do to you, you need to know what they are. You need to have got to that perception of their essence at some point. And then there's never any need to forgiveness because you understand that however else they are is not really how they want to be. And it's just because of circumstances. And you don't have to go through all that mental gymnastics to, to sort of explain everything away. You can just accept it and you know that, the, that they're not true to themselves because they can't help it and they're doing the best they can and that they are moving towards that. The minute you get to that point, I've never had the experience when I've got to that point of somebody's center and once I know what they are, they never annoy me after that or I never get... I never feel I need to, I can I judge them after that because it's like you know well that is what they're really like and they would be like that if they could. It's only people where you don't know them that you sort of inclined to sort of push them away. So what I, what I want to say to you really and the essence of what I want to say is that what you are is enough basically. But you need your masculine and feminine. If you go rampaging around saying well, I'm going to be my male energy and I'm going to just do everything I want. Just pour it all out. It's not going to work because you need to be sensitive to the environment. If everyone was in their own energy and there were no problems, you could be like that. You would just flow out and it would be right for the situation. But because nobody hardly is, you can't afford to be like that because they can't accept it. Just like my son can't accept my love directly. And I have to give it in a roundabout way. So I need my feminine energy, which receives and perceives to discern that it isn't the right way to, to treat him in the situation. I need to know what is there in the center of me, what is there in the center of him, and take the appropriate steps to meet those things. Now, the only problem that sits between us being clear is the held back stuff. And what I've observed recently, sort of looking at what goes on in workshops particularly, is that if you set aside we all agree we've all got blocks from our childhood and problems. Now, we want to function in our everyday life. So what I do is I function in my everyday life, I d and I, I can function very well in my everyday life. And if I need any protection, I use rescue remedy or quinoa or something, if the environment gets a bit heavy, and I just do my thing, and I receive and do what's going on. But I have to put aside time, and I have plenty of time every week that I put aside to deal with the stuff that's in my aura, the past. You have to give it time. Otherwise, it's constantly shooting up into the present. And then there you are. Um, Joe Bloggs just says an unkind word or a slightly casual word to you. You don't even know him very well. And you're absolutely hysterical and say, how could you be like that? And it wasn't Joe Bloggs. It was what your mother did to you when you were three. Because you never dealt with that. You never brought it to the surface. So it keeps surfacing because it's wanting attention. If you set aside time for that, if you deal with it, if you clean out everything, you can respond totally in the moment. Probably all of you have been told in meditation, the idea is to live in the moment. You know, no past, no future, no possessiveness, just the moment. You can only do that if your past is not harassing you. And your past, the harassment from your past, makes you worry about the future. So you have to deal with your past and clean it up and get rid of all your waste so that you can actually respond in the moment. And then you can do it with no trouble. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to suppress anything. You don't have to consciously tell yourself, I must be in the moment. I mustn't worry about next week or what we're having for dinner or that conversation I just had. You don't have to do that because it's all gone. You simply are in the present. And that is a lovely way to be able to be. You've probably all been able to be that at times when you can let go of your past and your energy is clear. Usually in nature. You know, that's when we go to the beach and go swimming and 
pine woods are absolutely marvellous for clearing off stuff. But when we come back, you know, all the stuff comes back up again. So it's perfectly possible to be clear. It's perfectly possible to be healthy. But you need to take responsibility because you're... Not... You know, because you walked into life and there were things that happened to you and there are things in the environment that are going to affect you, you need to take responsibility for yourself to get rid of the stuff you don't need and put it somewhere useful, dispose of it. I don't like just throwing things away. I like to take them to Oxfam or the jungle sales because they might have some use for somebody, whatever it is, or put them on the compost heap if they're going to rot away or tear it up and use it for dusters, whatever. I mean, one of the things that really screws me up and makes me feel horrible of those, um, you know, places where they help put all the rubbish, landfill sites. Mm-hmm. It's just something about those things. It's just like what we're doing. What are we doing? You know, what are we doing with ourselves? We just take all the rubbish and we stuff it in and start, cover it over and say, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Ooh. There's just something awful about that. And somebody I know who's a dowser said, well, one of these days in a few, you know, a few years' time, they're going to have to dig all this stuff up and sort it out and use the useful stuff because stuff is going to waste. And I try to recycle my bottles and my aluminium and my tin cans and newspapers, and it does make me feel better to do it. And I, I hate having to put stuff in the rubbish bin. Um, I feel better when I have chickens, you know, I can just feed all the stuff for the chickens. Um, and um, uh, I think we need to sort of take the same attitude, not to waste, you know, to try to make use of what's there and to try to use the energy. For example, if you've had a painful experience, and this is so common, to use that experience to help you to understand and help other people. It is so common that a person who's had a child with cancer or, 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 or relatively with multiple sclerosis will be very, very active in working with that, you know, in groups or whatever it is in the therapy and raising money for it and so on. So if those people have put their experiences to use. No experience you have is bad in itself. It's only whether it's used or not. It's bad if you leave it there to rot and go moldy. That's when things go bad. But if they're used and recycled, it's all right. And they can be, they can be put to use. And um, that's really what I want to say to you, is, is that you have everything you need, all in there, everything. Um, you have everything you need to help you get at it, out there, um, in nature. You don't need to invent anything new or different, and in the people around you. And it's simply a question of making use of it, allowing yourself to receive what is there for you, and taking the trouble to give out what you feel in whatever is the most appropriate way you can. And then you will be healthy. And if you stand around and say, I'm sick because of something that happened to me, and I'm a victim, and it's somebody else's problem, you're never going to get anywhere. And if you sit down and you say, yes, well, this is my business, my life, my body, and I'm part of the whole thing, and I can do something about it, and I commit myself to that, then not only will you be healthy, but everyone else around you will have a much better chance of being healthy in themselves and happy with themselves as well. And let's include the whole earth in this.